Now, you're in the WOR Sports Zone with Pete McCarthy. A football Monday and plenty to discuss as Sam Darnold has a big day for the New York Jets. A needed win for them. Uh, we'll wrap up NFL Week 5, still with one to play. Monday Night Football tonight. Uh, the MLB playoffs certainly taking shape. Game 3 tonight, Yankee Sox. Mark Carrig of The Athletic will be with us. We'll dive into the Mets GM Hunt with Steve Phillips of SiriusXM, former Mets general manager. Uh, so a lot to do tonight. We'll take your phone calls as well. 800-321-0710, the number. Uh, but we start with the Giants, and the Giants now 1-4 and four on the season, a 33-31 loss to the Panthers. Really heartbreaking the way that it goes down with Graham Gano kicking a 63-yard field goal the second season in a row. The Giants lose a game in the final seconds on uh, an extremely long field goal attempt, uh, you know, and a pair of desperate field goal attempts, but Graham Gano, uh, you got to tip your cap when, you know, somebody's drilling a 63-yarder, the NFL record for the longest game winner. Uh, Matt Prater does have the record overall at 64 yards, but it's another Monday where all of the talk around the Giants, again, revolves around Odell Beckham Jr. And did he say the right things? Did he go about it the right way? Is he being a good teammate? Is he good for the Giants? And that same conversation we have seemingly had time and time again throughout Odell Beckham Jr.'s tenure uh, with the New York Giants. And uh, on display again yesterday, how good the guy is. Uh, He might be the best quarterback on the team. Uh, Threw a touchdown to Saquon Barkley. Caught a big touchdown in the fourth quarter. The first Giant to throw for a touchdown and catch a touchdown since Frank Gifford. So, uh, you know, you see the talent again and what he can do, how he can change a game. And you also see him, I think, trying to develop into a leader for this Giants team, but doing it in clumsy fashion. And Odell Beckham Jr., we heard the full interview that he did with Josina Anderson of ESPN and for whatever reason, having Lil Wayne at his side. And a lot of what Odell Beckham Jr. said was accurate and truthful and, and made some sense. And some of the things that he said were things that needed to be said. Uh, for instance, on the game plans and what he wants to see emotionally from his team. The way that, uh, I don't know, like I said, I feel like he, he's not going to get out the pocket. He's not, we, we know Eli's not running. <laughs> Is it a matter of time issue? Can can he still throw it? Yeah, it's been pretty safe. It's been you know cool catching a shallow and trying to take it to the house. But I'm you know I want to I want to go over the top of somebody. Well, that's on Eli. Uh, but you know some of what Odell Beckham Jr. said in the interview needed to be said. The team playing with more heart. Uh, he wanted the team to throw the ball down the field more, which they did in yesterday's game, and help them lead the way. Uh, but this is where you go wrong when you do the public interview. Josina Anderson is going to ask him about his quarterback, Eli Manning. Is he a problem? And you get the, I don't know. Uh, you, you certainly don't get anything approaching, hey, Eli Manning's my quarterback, he's my guy, there's no T.O. tearing up uh, over Tony Romo years ago. That That is not what you get from Odell Beckham Jr. So is there a disconnect between he and Eli? That gets opened up. Uh, he gets asked about, is he happy in New York? That's a tough question. Um, 
obviously, you know, I love, I love seeing the sunshine all the time. I love being in LA. I just like that atmosphere. But this is where I'm at. This is where I'll be at. How's that benefit anybody? You're happier in L.A.? You want the L.A. weather? And this is where you, you run into an issue here because, again, some of what Odell Beckham Jr. said made sense. What he said about Eli Manning was truthful. But at the end of the day, what is he trying to do? He's trying to rally this team to win games. Does that help them win games? Some of this did need to be said. Is going on ESPN to say it the best way to go about it? Of course not. Of course not. That's why he's apologizing to the team on Saturday. And maybe that was a productive conversation, but that's where it should have started. Instead of going on TV with Lil Wayne at your side, someone who's a true leader would stand up in front of the team. If Odell Beckham Jr. asks Pat Shermer this week, hey, I got a message for the guys. Do you mind if I talk to the team? You think Pat Shermer says no? He's going to let Beckham express what he wants and try to rally the guys up. And that could be a real positive. But when you do it through the media, it doesn't work. You don't want to air your dirty laundry everywhere publicly. And he's again, he said some things that were important that needed to be heard. He felt the team responded yesterday, but it again just creates chaos around the Giants. Uh, you heard Pat Shermer after the game yesterday. He's still fired up about this even after the game was played. All right, listen, I'm going to answer all the drama questions right now, and I'm going to go back to what I said, all right? I addressed it with Odell. I addressed it with our team. I publicly declared that I didn't agree with his comments. And I asked anybody that was interested, if they wanted clarification, go to Odell, because he's a big man. Now, I'm not going to give the public a pound of flesh on this, right? That would make me small, not strong. And these are the kind of things, in my opinion, when you have the locker room that we have, that will help galvanize them, because the locker room took care of it. And that's all I'm saying on it. Finito. Done. Finito. That would make me small, not strong. So he's going, you got to say that. But he put Shermer in a tough spot because he talked about in the interview how they're not scheming him open to take advantage of what he could do downfield. Uh, you hear in the interview, he doesn't take any responsibility himself for the struggles of this team. And it's all about the schemes. So he's pointing to the coaching, uh, to the, the quarterback. And I just think if you want, if Odell Beckham Jr. wants to be a, a true leader on the team and he's got the contract to do it, he's got the talent to do it, and he seems to be working up towards reaching that level, there are ways to go about it. It's great to get some insight as to what's actually happening with the Giants and how an athlete like Odell Beckham Jr. feels about things. But if his goal is to win football games, you want to keep this stuff in-house and not have it blow up week after week after week. And these are the kind of things that are going to run all the time. Meet with the team yourself. Handle that in your own way. Go up in front of the team and say you don't think they're playing with enough heart and try to rally guys in that way rather than 
do it publicly and, and make a show of it uh, as he did this week. That's that's what you want to see. I'll give you an example. And we don't often get insight on these kinds of things, right? When, when things are handled in-house, usually we don't know about it. That's the whole reason that it, it works. Jarvis Landry, good friend of Odell Beckham Jr.'s in Cleveland. He's trying to change a culture there. And we got a little insight in hard knocks, if you remember this. And Jarvis Landry went at uh, the receivers in his room. He asked to address them about dogging in practice and not going out there because of injury. But I ain't taking no days off because I can't be great that way. That got to be the attitude and the mentality all the time. All that weak don't live here no more. That don't exist. It's contagious, bro. Like, it's really contagious. It's contagious. You want to change a culture? Talk to people men to men, man to man. Go up in front of the group and say something like that. Don't do it through the media and a TV interview with little Wayne by your side and expect to be taken seriously as a leader of the football team. And I, I think we are seeing some positive growth from Odell Beckham Jr. here. But you got to go about it the right way. And that's not what happened this week. And now the Giants are 1-4. and four. They got a quick week. They play the Eagles on Thursday. You would think the season is on the line that you can't fall to 1-5 and five and be in good shape. But the NFC East is such a mess right now. They might be able to fall to 1-5 and five and still be alive. Uh, but don't let that fool you. That's a huge game on Thursday for these New York Giants, and they have a lot of different things to take care of. Uh, Odell, last night after the game, said he didn't regret anything, but Landon Collins told the New York Post that Odell apologized to the team from the heart on Saturday. So what is it? What is the message that Odell wants to impart on this team as he tries to cut out, I think, his leadership area? And that's what he's got to get... I think better at is just how to go about it in a way that's going to be a positive. And this might ultimately end up being a plus for the Giants, but it didn't help them on Sunday. It didn't help them play any harder or try to win a game in Carolina yesterday. And a brutal loss for the Giants, 33-31 to the Panthers. Uh, we get into some of the big calls that did not go the Giants' way, how Eli performed yesterday as it was another up-and-down performance from him. Uh, we'll also we'll get into the Jets down the line here. Mark Correg covers the Yankees for the Athletic. will be with us at 6.35 as we preview Game 3 of the Division Series between the Yanks and the Red Sox. We'll be bouncing around all night. We can take some calls, 800-321-0710. It's the Sports Zone with Pete McCarthy on The Voice of New York, 710 WOR. Her Sports Zone with Pete McCarthy. We'll get into an explosive victory for the New York Jets coming up a little bit later on in the show. Also, preview game three Yankees Red Sox. Mark Craig of The Athletic will be with us in a little more than 10 minutes here. Uh, of course, we'll have our Mets coverage at 7.05. Steve Phillips, former Mets GM, now of SiriusXM, will join us. But uh, wrapping up a, a little more of what we saw yesterday and the Giants' loss to the Carolina Panthers, dropping a 1-4 and four this season. Eli Manning, 
it's about as well, I guess, as he has played this year, where when it was crunch time in the game, he was able to launch the ball down the field and you know find some big plays, find Odell Beckham Jr. in double coverage and you know force it in there, let Odell make a play, and, and it worked. It was a perfect throw, perfect catch from Odell for a, a big touchdown late. Um you know, finding Sterling Shepard at the end of the game, and there were some positives for Eli. He also threw two interceptions and, you know, again, shows the limitations that he has in terms of extending plays and uh, using his mobility. The offensive line for the Giants is not strong. It's just a terrible mix in what often makes this offense look broken. But they finally, uh, for the first time in years, able to get over 30 points. Uh, unfortunately, a last-second field goal, and it turns into a defeat for the Giants. And these wins and losses are huge for them right now. And Saquon Barkley, he looks looks fantastic. And, yeah, he has a, a lot of plays where he's running into the line. But when he gets any kind of open field, he knows how to find the house. He knows how to bring it all the way there. And he is Barry Sanders-like sometimes in how uh, he is able to make guys miss, turn on the afterburners when he needs to. He is immensely talented, but you go back to the draft, as we will do forever, and there's only so much that that running back can add to your team. And despite the fact that he has been as good as advertised, here are the Giants 1-4 and four, uh, going into a, a huge game Thursday night against the Philadelphia Eagles. As for the calls, I know a lot of complaints about the Landon Collins helmet-to-helmet hit. He's clearly going for the football, but you know it, it's helmet-to-helmet. Uh, the rule is you can't be hitting guys in the head with your helmet and there's no doubt that Collins isn't trying to do that but it did happen and yeah do you have to slow it down on HD to see it to some degree you could see it real time as well um, but that's I don't think that's a egregious call uh, the false first down late was and you know that's something that the NFL said they took a look at uh, it wasn't possible it kept on moving in that spot and that's something that they should have tried to look at i know it's a tough spot the clock's running uh potentially in that situation you kind of got to call it one way or the other and then uh, possibly go to the replay uh but that was a is a messy finish uh, as far as the officiating went there it hurt the giants in a big way but they can't just be blaming the officials this isn't just one game that's an exception this is a one in four trend for the Giants who haven't played good football in a long period of time. You're going to go back two regular seasons when that defense was top five in the league. The last time the Giants were consistently playing good football. And we just haven't seen nearly enough of that of late. Uh, let's grab some calls 800 321 Vince in Fort Pierce, you want to chime in on Odell? Yeah, I do. You know, I, I've been a season pass holder for 30 years. I haven't. Made I, I was at one game last year, and I can't even sell my tickets anymore. My, I couldn't even sell the Eagle game this week, which you would think would be a big seller. But, you know, the, what's happening with the Giants, it's not really about the kneeling anymore. It's, the, all that did was open everybody's eyes to people like Odell Beckham. And, and I can't believe What does that have to do with the kneeling? Fight. He well, didn't kneel? It's, it's, no, that's what I'm saying. It has nothing to do with that anymore. It's opened people's eyes to look around at other problems in the NFL. And he's a, he's, his attitude last year, the Eagle game for me was like last year when he was simulating peeing on the football, yeah. got 15 yards for that and something else. But then you look at what he did this week. And then you look at what he did yesterday. I mean, that, that touchdown was the difference. 
his touchdown. So no matter how good he thinks he is, he's not that good because he does tremendous plays and then he does tremendously stupid plays. What are you talking and about, the, the muffed punt? Yeah, that was, you know, I yeah. mean, that was like, why would he even go anywhere near the ball? He knows better than that. He has but to. He's, just trying, he's a superstar. And he's got that suit. He wants to go to L.A. now. Yeah. He likes L.A. They signed him just a few a few weeks ago for $95 million, and already he's starting. Do they really think he's going to last five years? And he, that's, that the, that's concerning. Decision. It, there's no that's doubt. And, and, and thanks for the call, Vince. Uh, that, the fact that he's talking about L.A. In, in an interview and, hey, this is where I'm at essentially now is what he is saying there. Uh, it's alarming. This is the New York Giants, the New York team. This isn't a team that you get drafted by and then look to move. And he got his big contract, and you can you feel like this is a guy who's happy to have his money, happy to have his security now, and now he could do it for any team that he's looking at. And the Giants have issues. They messed up this offseason. They did. They needed to go out and get a quarterback, and they didn't do it. Didn't mean they had to replace Eli right away, but they needed to draft a quarterback. They had an opportunity to do that. It didn't happen. And you do wonder. It's not going to get better for Eli Manning. He's not turning back the clock and being the guy who won two Super Bowls anytime soon. So without having a plan at that position, what is Odell Beckham Jr. thinking when he looks around of what the future is going to be? Who's going to be trying to get him the ball? He's unhappy now with Eli Manning. It's probably only going to get worse at that position, at least in the near term. Can you tell me what the answer is going to be to get Odell the ball? He wants 20 targets a game, he said. That's what the best receivers are getting, is what he told the ESPN. Well, who's forcing you the ball 20 times next year? Eli Manning with another year under his belt? Signing a big free agent, making some other move? There's nothing obvious. It's not like last year where there were lots of opportunities at that quarterback position. It's the idea that he's not thrilled being in New York <laughs> it just adds a whole other layer to all of this. And you know, he seems it's like a, a ticking time bomb. If they fall to one in five, and yeah, I believe that Odell Beckham Jr. wants to win football games, but there's only so much a wide receiver can do if you're not winning those games. What are you doing? And how are you going to change things? And I think Odell wanted to try to change some things for this Giants football team. But he went about it the wrong way. And he's been in the league long enough that he should know better and know how to handle these things and have the guts to go in front of your team and say that rather than, again, doing an interview with Lil Wayne next to you for, like, emotional support or something. Who knows why Lil Wayne is there? But that's a clown show, and that's looking for attention. And it it feeds into a lot of the negativity that has been around Odell over the years, and some of it's fair, some of it's not, but he's got a know better, he does know better, and if he's going to be the leader of this Giants team, after the big contract, the talent he has, he has all the ability to do that. Go about things the right way with this aspect of it, with the leadership aspect of it. If you're going to be more than just a lead-by-example kind of guy, and he works, he puts in the work, if you're going to try to fire up your team, 
Do it yourself. Do it in-house. Don't do it in a position where you look like you're throwing your quarterback under the bus. Forget about look like. He did. Throw his quarterback under the bus, his coach under the bus. Guys are irritated by it. It's not the healthy way to lead. 800-321-0710. Again, 800-321-0710. We'll get into the Jets later. We'll mix in some more Giants. Uh, when we come back, we're going to start locking in on some baseball here. Big postseason baseball day. You got a couple of series already wrapped up as the Astros uh, finished off a sweep of the Indians today. Uh, but we'll get into Game 3, Yankees-Red Sox. Uh, what could be a pivotal Game 3 in this series? Mark Craig of The Athletic will be with us on the other side of this break. It's a sports with Pete McCarthy on The Voice in New York, 710 WOR. It's the WOR Sports Zone with Pete McCarthy on 710 WOR. Yanks Sox game three of the ALDS uh, coming at you from the Bronx tonight. And we have the pleasure of uh, being joined by one of our favorites here in the sports zone, Mark Craig of The Athletic, now covering those New York Yankees. And uh, Mark, how are you tonight? Doing all right, Pete. Good, good. And as far as the Yankees go here, 1-1 coming into tonight, Game 3. Obviously, you take a split on the road anytime, especially against a 108-win team like the Sox. But looking a little deeper into this, the way those first two games played out, do you think that some of the things that went the Yankees' way, like Gary Sanchez's power and the Sox struggles in the middle of their bullpen, uh, go beyond even a a 1-1 split there at Fenway Park? Yeah, I actually thought when you looked at how those games unfolded, they were about as encouraging as you could get without having won both games if you're the Yankees. Because I think, you know, you saw how the Red Sox struggled, as you mentioned, with the middle of their bullpen. I mean, really anyone outside of Craig Kimbrell is a question mark for them. And I think the Yankees did a good job of exploiting that. And so, uh, you know, they hit for power, too. That's the other thing. You mentioned Gary Sanchez, two home runs there, obviously, but... They've got a bunch of guys up and down this lineup that are capable of putting the ball over the fence that we've seen in this postseason. That's a really important thing to have uh, if you're hoping to advance. So I think, uh, you know, it's a split up there. They'll take it clearly. But um, if you look at, you know, just on a granular level, there's a lot of signs there that I think were encouraging for the Yankees. How about Gary Sanchez? It was a question whether he would start that AL wildcard game. Aaron Boone backed him despite a a rough outing he had with Luis Severino in Oakland uh, earlier in the month of September. How how has that affected Sanchez here to get that vote of confidence, I suppose, from his skipper, backing it up by starting him and trying to put this regular season where he struggled so much behind him? Well, I I think there's a twofold there. One, I think Brian Cashman was very vocal about that. Aaron Boone, as you mentioned, very vocal about it, but you know what? Gary Sanchez has played every single inning of the playoffs right now. And, you know, uh, Miguel Andujar has not. And he's somebody who, uh, another player whose questions defensively have come up, and Andujar has been defense for in these games, whereas Sanchez has not been. So I think not only is there a vote of confidence there as far as him starting the games themselves, but the fact he's been left in says something, too. Something that jumped out at me with the lineup tonight, Luke Voigt hitting three. How has he become such a trusted bat and what's already such a talented Yankee lineup? There's so many options in that spot, and, and Voigt gets the opportunity in the middle. Well, I think there's a couple of things at play there. One, uh, for somebody who you know, hits for a lot of power, like he does, um, you know, he goes to center field and right field a lot. And 
obviously at Yankee Stadium for a right-handed hitter, that's a big deal. That's part of the reason that really even before the trade deadline, Luke Boyd was somebody that was on the organizational radar, somebody that if they could acquire him, he'd be real attractive for him. So you've got that aspect where his strength seems to play well in this park. And also, he's been productive. Uh, if you look at what he's done since he's come back up here, they had some initial struggles, got set down, came back up, and uh, you know he's been a force for them. So if you just look at what he's done statistically, uh, I think that's somebody that, you know, take the name out of it, perfect fit for the three-hole, you know, or at least somewhere in the middle of the order. So he's obviously gained a lot of trust in the short time that he's been here. And I think some of that is just a matter of, look, he's produced. You know, and, and it's not the brand name, but you look at production in these situations and uh, the fact that he is a guy that goes center field right center pretty easily, uh, I think, plays really well and, and is a part of that decision, especially in this ballpark. Power of the chest hair. It works. <laughs> you know, I haven't looked too hard at that. But, <laughs> you know, I, I guess it's working for him. I mean, he's out here right now, uh, you know, working out and, and he's got this like thing where he cuts the sleeves off of his uh, uniform top. Uh, kind of old school, like you'd see back in the 50s. He's got giant arms. So anyway, it's, uh, you know, he's obviously brought an element of, of kind of like a, a carefree mentality here that I think these guys kind of needed too. And Aaron Judge talk about it a lot. He's been a spark plug, and I think he's, he's speaking more, you know, not just what he's done at, at the plate, but also what he's done in the clubhouse and just sort of the way he approaches playing the game, which is a lot of joy. We're talking again with Mark Correga of The Athletic covering uh, the New York Yankees as they take on the Red Sox. Game three of the ALDS entering tied up at one in the series going into this game. I, I thought the home run for John Carlos Stanton against the Athletics in the wild card game, even though it wasn't a, a clutch spot, I thought that might take some of the pressure off of him and immediately after game one, uh, it it's you know more focus on him. And I guess this happens with every star uh, who joins a new club, especially like the Yankees, the big contract that he has. Uh, we saw him undergo some of the, the pressure early on this season. How is he handling this? Well, I think right now this is a different level altogether. And what I've noticed with him is that you know there's going to be an adjustment period there. And it certainly happened during the regular season when the club came up to New York for the first time. But, you know, having watched it unfold during the year... He is somebody who's capable of making those adjustments. I think he's got a really good understanding of the things that he needs to do for himself to have success. And he really hasn't, you know, strayed from that the whole time he's been here. You know, he's a, he's a worker. He's a guy that's in the cage a lot. That's just what works for him. Whether he's going good or going bad, he's in there grinding away. And a lot of his teammates have noticed that as well. So, uh, yeah, I think clearly there is an adjustment period, and, and you've seen it maybe in some of the early results here, you know, certainly in that four-strikeout game. But um, on the flip side, I think there are times where his at-bats are really brutal when he's kind of off, and I'm not necessarily seeing that from him. Now, is he you know, clicking at full cylinder, full, full capacity? No, he's not. But um, I think he's certainly far off from like when those periods of the season where he truly is lost play we're not quite seeing that either so um yeah i think there is an adjusted period i think he's you know again because he's a veteran player he kind of knows that and he's he's treated it accordingly here you think it weighs on him personally 
I think so. Yeah, I, I think anybody that has those expectations upon them, it's going to weigh on you. He's a human being. Uh, is he going to acknowledge that publicly or even, you know, with his teammates? Probably not. But, again, I, I think, you know, you mentioned the contract. You mentioned the expectations. I think those are very real things. We're talking again, Mark Correga of The Athletic right now before Game 3. Luis Severino goes for the Yankees tonight, and then CeCe Sabathia will be the Game 4 starter. How do you think the pitching sets up here for the Yankees as far as you know, Jay Happ? Could he be available in one of these games? Might they go to Masahiro Tanaka in a Game 5? What are the options for Aaron Boone? Is Really all through the postseason, as we've seen in recent years, it's not just your starter having to go 6. It's a it's a team effort. Yeah, and you know what? Uh... It's why whenever I've heard questions about starting pitchers, I've almost downplayed it. Uh, you know, it doesn't even matter that much. Like, and it doesn't matter in regards to if they get in trouble early, they're out of the game. Mm-hmm. Especially the Yankees when you've got a bullpen that's so good that they, and, and so deep. So, um, you know, I think a lot of these decisions will be made just on their internal metrics and what they say uh, regarding matchups and, and whether they're favorable or not. Um, a lot of this has to do with how guys feel, ultimately. I think that's a luxury they've got, too, is that uh, you know, they could tailor sort of who they run out there based on uh, just how guys feel because you do have a bullpen that can carry a lot of innings and do it effectively. So, um, you know, in that regard, I, I think whoever can go and get them four innings at this point, that looks good for them, you know, and that's a lot different than how we've watched baseball for many, many years, but... That's sort of the reality in, you know, in the case of teams that have strong bullpen uh, that don't necessarily have that same depth with the starting rotation, and the Yankees are one of those teams. And we've seen it work for Milwaukee, saying that series uh, against the Colorado Rockies. Uh, not great starters, but able to put up a, a lot of zeros and, and really shut down that Rockies offense. And, of course, part of this goes back to the analytics. And, and you did a deep dive uh, on the Yankees' analytics uh, and their staff recently for the Athletic. And it, it's easy to compare for the Mets, who, who did not give Sandy Alderson those kinds of resources. But uh, what, what are some of the specific advantages, let's say, that the, the Yankees' analytics staff has been able to provide for Brian Cashman and this team? Well, we talked about one earlier, Luke Voigt. Uh, that's a guy who, you know, it's very easy for him to sort of blend in with a lot of players in baseball right now. He's a big power guy, right-handed bat, not a particularly good defensive player, plays first base, so you're limited there. Uh, it's very easy to look at that skill set and just, you know, assume that it's something you can find at a lot of different places. Uh, but, you know, again, they, they zeroed in on it because they liked something about his profile. In this case, he hits the ball really hard, right field, right center. And it's not a fluke thing with him. It's part of his approach. And it is something that he's able to do consistently. He can repeat it. So, you know, and they got him for what? International bonus pool money and an excess reliever that didn't have any options left. So that's to me, where you get the advantages of analytics is that, you know, you're able to target certain guys that maybe are undervalued, uh, and then, you know, because they're undervalued, you're not paying a giant price tag for them. So it's what sort of I think the Mets should actually be doing more of because they're in a position where, uh, you know, there's a certain amount of money they're going to spend, and, and that's what it is. But to me, if you can do anything that you can to be more efficient about it, you ought to do it. Uh, you know, Yankees you know, could operate like they used to and, and not do these things and, and you know, cover their mistakes with the money, but because they have invested in research and development and they have invested in data, they're, they're able to be more efficient with how they're spending their money and expending their resources, whether it's 
you know, actual dollars and cents, or in the case of Luke Voigt, getting certain players you already have in your organization for something that's going to help you out down the line. So, uh, yeah, that's, to me, that's like a perfect example right there of the edge that you can gain uh, if you're able to invest uh, in people who are basically just looking at the game from a different perspective. It works, and we see it from so many of the teams uh, that are still playing baseball this time of year, including the Yankees. Recommend everybody check that out uh, at the Athletic and uh, Game Three, Yankees Red Sox tonight. You can read all about it in the Athletic. Mark Craig, appreciate it, bud. Thanks a lot, Pete. Always great coverage, Mark Craig uh, of the Athletic, and uh, we'll dive into the Mets general manager hunt and and the role of analytics within that. Uh, but Steve Phillips, the former GM of the Mets, uh, Sirius XM, what makes that Mets job so unique, and what might he tell candidates uh, going in to interview to be the next GM of the New York Mets? Uh, we'll have that for you, Steve Phillips, at seven oh five. We can take some calls coming up eight hundred three two one zero seven ten. And I'll give you some extra thoughts on Game Three between the Yanks and Red Sox coming up. This is Sports Zone with Pete McCarthy on the Voice of New York seven ten W O R.